Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, it's cosy here, isn't it? Just me and you chatting, chatting about a bit of football. I'll tell you what, I've made a big change, mate. I've made a big change in my life and my working life. I've gone back to notebooks. Ooh, big change. Uh, this is big breaking news of this transfer window. I started writing in a notebook that I'd found yesterday. And I was like, this is better. It's much easier. I can easily flick through this. So today's podcast, today's ranking is all coming straight out of a notebook. So if you hear me flicking through the pages, um, that's it. We're going old school. And there's no more no more notes being made on my, my Mac for the foreseeable future. It's all going to be written down and then transcribe to the world at a later date. So, um, yeah, I think this is the way forward, mate. This is how I'm going to conquer this summer. Well, it's a big move for the summer, BJ, and it's a big summer. So, yeah, yeah, that is big transfer news. But we're going to be talking about some of those things today. We're going to be talking and ranking some of the most bizarre storylines coming out of this transfer window as we hurtle towards that mark of the 1st of July. You know, the, the transfer window is officially open, but a lot of these deals are being done 1st of July. A lot of them will happen as July kicks off. And I, I think it's a good time to just look at some of the, the strangest storylines because there's a lot of talk and there's going to be a lot of talk on the podcast all summer about the sagas involving the likes of Declan Rice, the likes of Harry Kane, these yeah, I'm not things doing any that, of that roll that. onwards and onwards. We're going to go into a little bit more of the uh, the weird and wacky. Yeah. 
Well, you don't actually know what's coming today. That's what I actually like about today's ranking. You don't know what I've put together at all, really. Um, I said to you, yep, I'm going to do a, a, a podcast on crazy summer storylines. And so you've probably got an idea in your head of what might be coming. And it might not be that at all, mate. It, it might be mm-hmm. none of that. So I'm, I'm excited to see your reaction, actually, to this ranking. Because as I started it, I had one thing in mind. And then it changed as I started putting the list together. Um, all I can say is that this summer is actually way more exciting than I actually realized what is going to come and the, the domino effect that these things that I'm going to talk about will have on the world of football. This is one of the biggest summers of football we've ever known in our lives. Mm, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, another big twist for the summer is that we're changing up part three of this podcast today for the first time. We're going to yes. take a swing at something different over the summer. We've asked some of the Ranks FC community to send us in their hot takes. Uh, we've got three of them today to play out. We're going to play them out to you, see what you think of them, and also have a little bit of a discussion around each of them as well. So that's going to be the new part three, and, and I'm really excited about that new format as well. Yeah, we opened this up on on Patreon last night, so um, it was very short notice. But a few people have managed to come up with, with some hot takes, which I haven't actually heard yet, actually. So I'm I'm excited to get to that part. Um, but if you, the wider audience, want to get involved, um, start sending in voice notes. Get them into uh, me or Jack on on Insta or, or Twitter. Just make sure we can either access those uh, those voice notes on a, on a file or just directly ping them in i was going to start just sending out your phone number mate if this doesn't work effectively so um you want to hope that this week goes well because otherwise i'm just going to start distributing your number uh live on the pod so good luck everyone mm, yeah well, I'd... things go you <laughs> know, maybe we need you know a company phone we maybe we do phone. maybe we do we'll look at we'll look into that over the new season but i'm excited about getting right, the first these hot takes and if it's something that people like then it's something that we will keep as part of the podcast going forward and um, but before we get into all that then there's been a few bits of news that i thought we wanted to talk about in this things we love section and some people are going to dislike this but one of the things that i wanted to discuss was the fact that bournemouth have changed their manager now gary o'neill was relieved of his duties yesterday as Bournemouth manager and then immediately replaced. And before we go into the, you know, the ins and outs of his successor and who he is and and, and why this feels like an interesting move for Bournemouth, there are plenty of people who are very upset about this because Gary O'Neill was right in the conversation for manager of the year after keeping Bournemouth up from the position they were in. And also the fact that almost everybody in the entire world had this Bournemouth side down as finishing 20th in the Premier League this year. Even Scott Parker said this team wasn't good enough, mate. Um, and he was the manager at the time. So that there was a big job on, on Gary O'Neill's hands here. And honestly, in April, start of April, I was like, Bournemouth are going down. They are just not very good. Um, I had very little reason to believe in them. And fair play, he, he brought that team together. They ended up finishing 15th in the league. Uh, Leicester went down on 34 points. Bournemouth were five points clear of that by the time all was said and done. They did have a dreadful um, goal difference. They they had minus 34. Obviously, a lot of those came against Liverpool. But still, only, only Southampton had a worse goal difference than Bournemouth. So that also indicates just what a good job Gary O'Neill did. I mean, in the the national media here, I think there was a lot of journalists basically sticking up for Gary O'Neill. I think probably feel it was harshly done by. I mean, in the end, Bournemouth um, got over the line. Ten wins and six draws um, he managed. And yeah, I think that that was, that was really key in what they managed to do. He'll still be fine. He'll get a really good job probably on the back of this. But yeah, he's a young manager with now. I don't know much about, about him. Yeah, he's got he's got a good reputation. He goes out with his head held high. So in that, you know, it's very rare you get sacked after doing so well. Um, it, it, he's probably his uh, his ceiling and his reputation has never been better than than where it is right now. So that's good for him. Um, I don't know a lot about the new man, mate. I don't know about it. So I don't know if this is a risk. I don't know if it's smart. Uh, all I know is that they're giving something else a go and that they had been talking about doing this, to be fair, for quite a while leading into this uh, change of tact. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be all of the above. I think it can be a smart move and a risk. 
at the same time. And I think it's both of those things. But I, I would say this, Andoni Iraola is the new Bournemouth manager. He's just come out of a contract with Rayo Vallecano in that job. He got the side promoted in his first season with them. Um, this was after a couple of other managerial experiences. I'll get into that in a second. And they came up via the playoffs. The second leg of that playoff final, uh, they beat Girona 2-0, despite having 10 men for the majority of the game. And they'd lost the home leg 2-1. So it was a pretty like shock thing. And then this was a small club with very little transfer budget to to kind of work with. There, it's a bit of sort of an infrastructure strange one in that the fans are incredibly loyal and incredibly passionate. Vallecas is, is one of the most amazing places to watch football, I think, in the entire world. But there is just this kind of thing about them where they are sort of a little bit ramshackle. And part of that's to do with the fact that they like that. And part of it's to do with the fact that they're relatively badly managed. And yet... They were brilliant and have been brilliant for the last two seasons. You know, the season before last, they beat Barcelona twice. They stayed up comfortably, despite everyone predicting them to go down. Then this year, they went on uh, further from that. They finished 11th earlier in the campaign. It really looked like they were on the kind of charge of a, of a European push. And it fell away a little bit in the second half of the season. But you can kind of accept that considering the budgets that they were playing with. And I think that... When we look at clubs, when we look at transfer windows and all of these things, if Bournemouth had upgraded their left winger, right? Let's just say that they'd gone, right, we need a new left winger. We think that our current left winger is okay, but we're relegating him to the bench because we want to move forward. That's kind of standard practice for clubs, isn't it? You know, you bring in a new person to kind of shift the order onwards and to try and continually improve. I don't understand why that's so different with a manager. Because what Bournemouth have done here is gone, okay, Gary O'Neill has done a really good job. He's taken us to safety. There have been question marks, I think, generally among the Bournemouth fan base, even towards the end of things. They're very grateful to him, but they're also at a point where I think they were like, mm, maybe that's the, you know, the highest level he could achieve with this club. They've got an incredibly ambitious owner in Bill Foley who wants the club in Europe in the next couple of years, who has tasted success with his hockey team, the, the Golden Knights of Las Vegas, and who has been happy to chop and change and mix things up in order to try and get where he wants. And so if you if you can upgrade a winger in that regard, I think you can upgrade a manager as well. And I would say on the surface that this is a managerial upgrade. You know, you look at everything that Iraola has done in his managerial career so far, and I think that you're looking at someone who has punched upwards with every single team that he's had. He went to AEK Larnaca after he finished up his club playing career. He played for Athletic Club for a long, long time. Um, he was captain there and he reached the Copa del Rey final, Europa League final. I think they qualified for the Champions League. He was managed by Marcelo Bielsa, by Ernesto Valverde. He then went to New York and was married. Married? Managed by Patrick Vieira, he played in the same team as Frank Lampard, as Andrea Pirlo, some other you know wonderful footballers, David Villa. And then he went off to this thing in Larnaca, and he, he took this this Larnaca role. He took them to the Europa League group stages for the second time in their history. He went to Mirandes, and he took this team who everyone was convinced were being relegated to a comfortable mid-table. Um, they got to the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. They beat some really big guns on that road to the Copa semi-finals as well. There were sort of similar low expectations when he took charge of, of Rai Vallecano. It's just really, really impressive, I think, what he's done. And, and, and you look at the way that he sets up his teams. He's really, really tactically interesting. You know, they, they press really high up. They get into opposition teams. They're not sitting back and just defending and, and trying to hit them on the counter. And he's spoken about this. He says, if you let better teams come at you and you just try to hit them in transition, you lose because they overpower you. You have to try and hit them where it hurts. And I think for a club of Bournemouth's size and stature, but with the ambitions that Bill Foley has for them, I'm really intrigued by his managerial appointment. And I think this could be a masterstroke. Yeah, I saw he was he was linked with jobs like Sevilla and Valencia and, and Villarreal. So to end up at Bournemouth, probably be a bit left field. And if you're in Spain, you're probably wondering, why Bournemouth? Like, you wouldn't know much about them. You look at their stadium, I was like 12,000 or whatever. Um, 
yeah, it looks like a a strange move, but maybe it's a smart move. Maybe this is a stepping stone for him. And if he's as smart as some of the other managers that have come into the Premier League recently, which it sounds like he is, then then maybe maybe I'm underestimating what this guy is capable of. And maybe I should be a bit scared that uh, Bournemouth have, have got a, a gem here that, that could mean that Bournemouth are punching well above their weight next season. Yeah, I think it's a real, you know, you, you kind of match it with some of the signings that Bournemouth have brought in. And, you know, we've seen a few recently where I was like, that's a very good deal. We saw Marcos Sinesi came, came in last year, who was captain of the final side that got to that Europa Conference League final. We saw Ilias Jabani come in, who I think a lot of us consider one of the best young centre-backs in the game right now. Um, you know, Neto came in. That was a big statement kind of move because Mark Travers had been really good in the championship. And I, I think that, you know, you look at that and you think about the fact that Bournemouth have already set out their stall and said, no, we, we're pretty keen to get some really you know some new players in to spend money in this transfer window you wonder what happens i think there's some really interesting matchups and that rivacano team had some wonderful players oscar trejo in the sort of cam role and mostly izzy palathon who kind of played the in, in kind of interior right winger role came on off that right hand side with a wonderful left left foot led the team in combined goals and assists last year you wonder the kind of players that can can fit that mold and some of the things that you know Marcus Tavernier was doing towards the end of the season you think okay all right are you going to be able to fulfill that kind of role I, I wonder who plays in the six for them um I, I don't think that there's a natural player that comes in here and and, and looks at this and goes okay who who kind of steps into that that six role for Bournemouth because I think that when you look at actually how they've set up this season, Ravi Kano. One of the really important things is having someone like Santi Comasagna, who basically sat at the bottom of their midfield and allowed the rest of the team to function around him. Now, Comasagna is out of a contract. There's been plenty of talk that he might be looking at the likes of Villarreal, that Betis are interested, Valencia are interested. I wonder if Bournemouth go in for him. He's 26 years old, Spanish, um, and he's, he's out of contract, Ravi Kano. And I wonder if he now follows his manager to Bournemouth because I think that's mm. one of the areas that that they're really lacking in um in in terms of having a kind of out and out six who's willing to not only drop into the defensive line but also be able to screen in in transition and so uh, there's there's lots of questions to answer about what this team looks like now I'm not saying that Bournemouth are going to play the exact way the Viacano did under Raola but I think that there'll be plenty of things for Bournemouth fans to look forward to. Kicking onwards into, you know, getting high and getting at people. They're good on the ball. They don't sort of sit back and just allow teams to hit them. Um, they love to win the ball back high up. There was a, a graphic recently that was, was talking about the fact, and it was, it was one of the things that Martin Erdegaard was the player who won the ball, you know, most regularly. Um, it, it, up in the in the final third and, and getting at it. Um, and in that graph, you were looking at the kind of 10 players in the top 10. And it's, so Martin Odegaard, you won it in the final third 49 times in the last league. It's only Europe's top seven leagues. Joao Mario from Benfica was in there and Gisa from Napoli. Two of the top 10 were Iraola's Rio Vallecano players. Izzy Palathon and Oscar Trejo, both in this top 10 for you know, winning the ball back high in the final third. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops at Bournemouth and, and what kind of style, that kind of aggressive front foot pressing that he puts in here at, at Bournemouth. So, yeah, I, I like it. it. It would be my thing we love this week. I think it, it's lots of fun. Yeah, lovely. Um, maybe this is a crazy situation, which I've overlooked for my main ranking, but you've covered it, mate. That sounds like good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get into that main ranking. We're handing the floor over to DJ after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And I can't wait for you to get into this one. So the floor is yours, Mr. Dean Jones. Can you hear this? That's the notebook. That's the notebook with all the gems in it. And here we go. The ranking is about to get underway. This, people, is why you can be excited about a, foot, a footballing summer where there's not really actually any football taking place at the moment because there are some massive stories that are going to be uncovered. And the first one, I can't avoid it. I mean, I'm just going to start at the top because this is the biggest game changer we've possibly ever seen in football. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has changed everything and it's certainly changed my job. Um, 
it's absolutely ludicrous. The the number of players being linked, the number of um, possibilities that suddenly exist for players who otherwise would be stuck at clubs is absolutely mad. I mean, Ronaldo obviously went first, signed for Al Nasir, and when he went, you know, I, I mean, I thought it was crazy, but I understood it, like ridiculous money. But he said, he predicted, this is going to become one of the biggest leagues in the world. I think he's even thinking like, this could be one of the top five leagues because in terms of the names that are landing in Saudi Arabia now, you're actually looking at a league that from a personnel point of view might start to outshine like Liga. Now, personally, I'd probably still prefer to watch Liga because of, you know, the everything attached to it from a footballing standpoint, youth that comes through, the, the famous clubs and the support and, and everything else. But in terms of the players that we're going to be seeing on show, everybody is starting to wonder, when are the Saudi Arabians coming for me? We've seen Benzema go. Kante's going. Ruben Neves is going. That's a game changer at his age. Edward Mendy, he's finding his way out there. You look at other players that are being linked with Saudi Arabia. Um, Sergio Ramos has been linked. Bernardo Silva, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Kaladu Koulibaly, Ziyech, Thomas Partey, David De Gea, Son, Brozovic, Firmino, Hugo Lloris, Angel Di Maria. The list goes on and on. Like, there is nowhere that they're not willing to try. They even tried Messi, obviously, but couldn't quite take it that far. By the end of this summer, I'm, I was initially told, actually, I'll, I'll set it out where I was initially told. I was I was told by someone, it's realistic that they could take 50 big names to Saudi Arabia this summer. And that was about a month ago. And I was like, no chance. I was like, if five big names go there, then they've done well. And I'm reevaluating that now. And I'm like, okay, 50 probably is still a stretch. There might be 50 recognisable names, and I bet 30, 25 of them are, are decent European um, footballers who have, got, who have got proper standing in the game going over to the Saudi Pro League. And it won't stop here. Managers will be next. Managers will be targeted. They're all going to look to grow this. They've got big, big plans. There's going to be TV rights all over the place. They want people watching these players. And I think that the reach of it is going to become huge. Now, as I say, from my point of view in the job, it's come from nowhere really. Um, but I think even from like a business standpoint and like a any conversations that take place, it's still catching out people that have worked in the game even longer than I have and more intimately than I have. Because one thing I was also told is like some of these players, when they first enter negotiations about the opportunities in Saudi Arabia. They're not even entirely sure which team they're signing for. I think that suddenly starts to become more more clear as you get into the discussion. Now, Piff obviously own Newcastle and they've got their claws into four clubs at the moment in Saudi. Al-Itihad, Al-Nasir, Al-Hilal and Al-Ali. So they're the four that the players are basically being distributed across mainly. And yeah, mate, I've never seen anything like this. The fact that players are actually having to jump at it, there is so much money going here. You look at Kante getting a hundred million pounds over four years of his contract. I mean, it's just crazy. Even for millionaires, this is silly money. Um, you know, five hundred grand a week. A lot of them are going to be earning playing in a league that is definitely below them. But you know, in any job, if you're if you're offered this sort of life-changing money that not only, you know, these players don't need to be set up, but they are setting up generations of their family to be absolutely sound and their friends probably and their friends. So I understand why people would be looking at it. I think it's sad in a way that players like Ruben Neves are having to go down this path. But yeah, mate, this is, this is, this truly is crazy. The amount of players that are being offered the Saudi move and are going to have to consider it. I've been reading quite a lot about this recently, and and one of the best articles I've read, read is by Matt Slater on The Athletic, and it basically is looking at the idea of, is this a bubble in the way that the Chinese Super League was, or is this a boom and a new dawn in the way that something like the IPL was in cricket, uh, and it completely and utterly changed the game. And I think you have to look at some 
you know, varying things of this. It's one thing bringing in a load of talent. And actually, I think that something that the Saudi League has going for it is that clearly there is a football culture and a desire to watch football and a kind of burgeoning people in stadiums, etc. You know, boots on the ground thing that already exists within the Saudi game, right? People love football and they're going to football and this is the sport that they want to be going and watching. And part of this then is, is trying to learn that. The, the difficult bit is trying to bring the floor upwards. And actually, you know, it's, it's one thing signing all of these players. And, you know, it's another thing having a homegrown local talent to come up and, and, and join these players, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And I think that's where it's going to be really interesting in the long run. You know, not necessarily how many players can they bring in, but, you know, the AFC Champions League, Saudi Arabia is the third most successful nation in the AFC Champions League behind Japan and South Korea, you know, historically. Um, and, and you look at the teams that won it, Al-Halal are the most successful AFC Champions League side ever. They've won the title last, not last season, the season before last, and in 2019. I think you, you look at the combinations, and, and this is something in the article, it's about the fact that, you know, you're only allowed six overseas players in a Champions League squad. So how do you fill out the rest of it? Now, obviously, we saw Saudi Arabia at the World Cup. We saw them, you know, put together some some really impressive performances at times in the World Cup. So base level of talent there. It's a question of whether that stretches further around the country and, and they can get those grassroots levels up further and further as we go along. And, and so that's, I think, going to be the really interesting thing. It's not necessarily the imported talent. We, obviously, that's the thing grabbing headlines at the moment. But actually, the success of the league... I think, kind of determines on whether they can use that boom period of, of bringing in really good talent, managers, coaches, whatever that is. Can they then utilize that to bring the floor up and, and make sure that the players kicking around? Because we saw a, a massive fall off in the, in the Chinese Super League that, you know, they were basically the, the original plan actually ended up hurting local talent that's probably because it was quite badly managed, right? And and it does look that the SPL is actually going to have a better management around it and all of these things. And and look, we can debate the morality of all of this all, all day. And, and I'm sure that there are plenty of different people exploring that dichotomy. I don't know the answer to that question. And and so I think that when you're, when you're looking at this, I'm, I'm kind of trying to look at it from a football perspective. And, you know, when you're actually looking at how all this has worked, it's... You know, the, the game the game they're playing is they're trying to make the SPL one of the best leagues in the world, right? That's 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 ultimately what they're trying to get to. And the question mark then becomes, is that all done by bringing in talent or is that also done by building an infrastructure, helping to kind of shift the, the dynamics of actual the game at grassroots level? Is that going to happen? I don't know what the answer to that is either. But I think that's the thing that's going to interest me of all the things here as opposed to anything else. Mm. It's new aspirations for, for people um, from that region to to grasp to, to see these players on their doorstep, on their pitches, uh, certainly takes that to a new level. If you're going to try and grow something, then why not get the best players in the world producing uh, right in front of you? So I think, yeah, from that standpoint, it, it's interesting. No idea if it's going to be successful, to be honest, but they're going to have fun trying at the very least, it seems. Um yeah, so that that's something that's going to be going ongoing all summer. I don't like the term SPL. That is reserved for the Scottish Premier League. They're going to have to look at some rebranding around that because I do not want it being known as that uh, for the rest mm. of time. Now, mate, the second point. We are one month away from one of the biggest stories, the biggest moments we've seen in our football-watching lives. It's a moment we knew would happen one day. But we didn't know it would come this soon. Leo Messi is going to make his MLS debut in one month. This is game-changing. Um, yeah, so probably mid-July. That's when we're expecting Messi, without any setbacks, uh, to step out on an MLS pitch for the first time. Now, we don't know the exact game for sure yet. It is suggested that it'll be Cruiser Bull in the League's Cup, and that is being played on the 21st of July. So that's the game that is kind of being earmarked right now for Messi's debut 
for Inter Miami. Now, what we should remember is this: like, has the big unveiling hasn't even happened yet. Messi's obviously just been on international duty. Um, he's going to have a short break, and then we're going to get that confirmation we all wanted and we will find out exactly when but there has been um some kind of murmurings about this being the game now if it's not that game it might be a couple of days before that mls all-stars play against arsenal get messy on that pitch that is the game that should be his unveiling that is the game that's unfair he can't play if he hasn't made an mls appearance no cat no chance should he be allowed to play He's not an MLS player. Of course he should. If they want to win, they've got to get Messi on the pitch. They got, if they want to win, they need Messi. Um. Yeah, that's true. But I think that's so unfair on people who've been playing in MLS. Like, you can't sign someone no, and put them in the all-star team straight away. They're not going to mind, mate. They're not going to mind. It's, um, you know, it's like you saying, Dean, I'm really sorry for Britsia Romano wants to come on. I, I wouldn't I'll, take I'll get I would, my I wouldn't tip you out, mate. I wouldn't, wouldn't tip take you it. out for no I wouldn't oh, tip you out for nobody. Oh, that's very kind. Listen, the other game that um people are, are really going for is uh Inter Miami play against Atlanta, your boys. That game is coming on July twenty fifth. Now they've already started selling out the, the the Mercedes Benz, right? It's it's already they opened the big tier for it and they were like, here we go. We're like, oh, okay. Cool. Mate, tickets for these games are ludicrous prices. So for that yeah. first League's Cup game on the twenty first of July, you're looking at about two and a half grand at the moment if you want to get into that one. That Atlanta game, I've seen tickets going for ten grand. Um, if you if you want to get into that one. The others after that are all looking like five, six hundred dollars at the moment on the resales. Um, but this is what we're entering now. Whenever Messi goes on this tour of America, people are going to be flocking to the stadiums. This is a huge moment for MLS. This is bigger than Beckham, bigger than Henri, bigger than Zlatan, bigger than Steven Gerrard. Messi, 806 goals uh, across his time at Barca and PSG, uh, just over a thousand games. This, this is absurd. This is This is like a player still able to achieve everything he's probably going to collect a ballon d'or in his in this year when he's playing at into miami he's gonna probably get that ballon d'or trophy while playing there that is a moment for mls2 to celebrate um this is huge like I, I can't believe that this is happening especially in the off season like when most people are just getting ready for next next campaign and stuff we're going to be seeing so much around messi's bow i mean on the MLS official app, it's only a couple of days ago that they took this off. But like the top six stories since the day that this transfer was kind of announced, it's just been messy, 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 messy. They can't let it go. The same on their Insta, like until last week. And some of the comments start to say, Lads, can we just talk about some of the games for a minute? Like we know he's coming, but we've got yeah, to talk like about some other stuff until he's Hany, here. Hany, Muk- Hany Mukdar's out here banging in, banging in hat tricks and just got another absolute tear for the, for last year's MVP. And like He must be like, my guys, I'm doing loads of good stuff. Oh, mate. What do you well, think, think it's going to be other... like, Messi in America? I think it's going to be amazing. But it's three different things, right? Because there's, you know, did you see the tweet yesterday from Miami's owner, Jorge Mas, who tweeted three shirts, three pink Miami shirts with just coming soon, see. Is that Messi Busquets' album? Because if it is, mm-hmm. and Tata Martino looks like he's going to be, you know, the, the new coach, there's a lot going on here. That's a that's a sudden shift. And I mean, look, the thing is that you look at you look at MLS and look at the table and look at how Miami have played so far, and it's been pretty poor, right? It's been pretty poor. They're rubbish. The question is, are they going to be able to turn this around? You know, we're past the halfway point of the season now. Miami are bottom of the East. Um, they have less points than anybody apart from LA Galaxy and Colorado Rapids. They are currently seven points of Montreal, who are currently in the last playoff space in the East. Are they going to be able to turn this around in the time that they have left? Because that suddenly becomes very interesting. If you know they get there mid-July, as you say, there will be, what, five? more games mls is really truncated at the moment there's midweek games every week it feels like that could be a little bit late to actually try and turn this around for a playoff push this season and imagine the kind of madness if 
all of this noise, all of this has been happening. And obviously it will be for, for next season as well. And fine, whatever. But if Miami then miss out on the playoffs, it's going to be like, oh God, this has all been, this has all been for nothing to begin with. At least in the first season, it's not mm. turned them around as fast as they could. And that's why I think they'll be desperate to get these players in ASAP. Yeah, they're not going to miss out on the playoffs, are they? They'll they'll make sure that there are players coming in that make sure that they are about to go on one hell of a tear. Mass as part of his quotes this week says, we've been preparing our roster for Messi's arrival. So we left an enormous amount of flexibility and we will be making additional signings. We do not have to dismantle our team, but I can say we will be potentially making between three and five signings. As you say, they held up three shirts. That suggests to me there's going to be three big names coming and um, Messi and his mates might well be riding to the rescue and it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, look, anytime they get a free kick, it's in the back of the net. No one's going to stop it. Like, unless it's off target, mm. you're not going to stop it. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's hard enough. Like for the, the, the very best goalkeepers in the world are struggling with these free kicks. Um, so, Sorry. MLS is about to see something they've never seen before. We've, as I said before, you know, we've seen some massive players. I didn't even mention like Rooney when I was going through those other players earlier. Like there's been a lot of players now go over there and, and make an impact. But this just hits different, obviously. Um, I'm waiting for Ronaldo to join him. I always thought that Ronaldo and Messi would be there at the same time. Be interesting to see how the next year, year goes for, for Ronaldo and whether he starts to consider that he might go there because obviously there's been talk about him having his own franchise and things like that in the future um yeah let's see but i've got i've got to see it i've got to see it at some point i I need to see messi playing these games I've, i've obviously seen him in the champions league i've seen him playing for barcelona i've seen him play in a world cup gotta check it out yeah, 100%. It is very interesting. And look, it's the ch- shifting power dynamics around the world, right? We're seeing the current Ballon d'Or holder sign for a Saudi pro side. We're seeing the many people's favorite for this year's Ballon d'Or sign for an MLS side. The structures and balances and checks of European football being the solo dominant force that has, you know, run the game, I suppose, for the last couple of decades at the very least. It's starting to shift mm-hmm. a little bit. Those barriers are starting to break down. It's going to be a very interesting globalization of the game for a little while, I think. Yeah. It helps when you're being played $60 million a season, obviously, over two and a half years. And then you've got all the other bits to come on top of it. So um, it, it's not just about the football, but money talks and so do projects. And also life experiences. I think we shouldn't underestimate. This is a life experience for Messi as well. Um, and if you are in the US, make sure you check out Messi when he goes on his, his tour starting in July. Right. Number three, a couple of his mates we need to talk about. Mbappe and Neymar. We could, possibly will, probably should see the end of the Trident altogether. Last season, Mbappe, Neymar and Messi were the most famous front three in world football as it stood. Messi's gone. Neymar surely will be on his way. Mbappe might be on his way. Again, something none of us would have predicted a few months ago to be happening, whereas PSG's front line absolutely ripped apart. Now, PSG's marketing campaign over the past couple of years has been phenomenal. I mentioned in our Patreon podcast recently that I barely ever saw a Paris PSG shirt around where I live, ever. I went took uh, both my, my boys down to... The football pitches near me the other day, there was 10 kids playing football. Five of them had PSG shirts on. So whether it's Mbappe, whether it's Neymar, whether it's Messi, whether it's the Air Jordan link up, PSG have absolutely nailed it in terms of making sure that as a global brand, they are right there at the top. But how will they fare when they don't have these players? Because you're starting to hear about a very different philosophy of of players that they might bring in. I mean, Harry Kane is mentioned. I don't think Harry Kane would join PSG. But beyond that, there's there's talk of like Marcus Turan. There's talk of Wilfred Zaha. There's there's players that are, are totally of a different feel to these Galactico types that that they've gone for to to build their name in their world standing. 
Um, now, Neymar's agents, I think, are extremely busy right now trying to find him a new club. Um, obviously, there'll be money on offer from, from Saudi Arabia. In the Premier League, Chelsea, Newcastle, Man United have all been mooted. The big one really is going to be about Mbappe. Mbappe doesn't seem actually desperate to move right now, despite the letter that he sent in saying he's not going to be at the club long term, saying he's simply giving in his notice for the year after. PSG aren't really that keen on that, but where's the taker? Mbappe's not going to Saudi Arabia. Let me make that clear. That one, surely, surely, surely off limits. So where does it leave? It leaves basically Real Madrid, who we're told as it stands right now, are not going to make a move for Mbappe. So there's that. But then I have to lead this straight into point four because I think it goes hand in hand with Mm -hmm. Man United's takeover. That is the other big, crazy storyline that is yet to properly unfold for this summer. Now, be honest, it should be done by now. This has been going on for like six months. And I'm quite bored of it. It's like the the power struggle between Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. Um, One minute we're told he's going to win. The next minute we're told he's going to win. As it stands right now, I think Sheikh Jassim slightly has the edge. He's slightly expected by most people to win this war and take over at Man United. Remember, the club... Priced really around £6 billion. Nobody quite got to that amount yet. But yeah, it's been dragging on. And for Eric Ten Hag, that's not ideal because it hampers his transfer plans for this summer. As soon as the takeover is activated, a new transfer kitty is unlocked and Man United can go for it. I'm waiting for that moment because right now United are quite reserved. You look at it making a bid for Mason Mount at £40 million. Not really what we had in mind for this summer when United were talking about, first of all, going for Frankie de Jong, then talking about going for Harry Kane, then wondering who else they could bring into this equation on on top of that. Well, if the takeover goes through, as it's been talked about a few times now, Neymar and Mbappe, to be fair, they've both been linked with Man United. Neither of those things happen unless Qatar win this. If Qatar win this battle, if Sheikh Jassim's group really do win the takeover, I think those two possibilities do become possibilities. Until then, I don't think, I think this is just a narrative, a fun narrative to think about, but just a narrative. But what would Mbappe do if Man United did come in for him now? Would he wait it out? What would PSG do if United came in right now? It'd be very interesting because ultimately, I don't feel like Real Madrid would be able to sit back and let that happen. So at the very least, if United ask the question about Mbappe after the takeover goes through, I want to see Real Madrid step up and say, OK, OK, we can't let that happen. We need you right now. We thought we might be able to just wait a year, but if we can't, we can't. And let's do this thing. Um, look, this is immense as I say like to to be talking about the all of these stories to come through over the course of basically the next month that's the all the Saudi money Messi's debut and Mbappe and Neymar potentially being available from PSG Man United about to undergo one of the biggest takeovers we'll ever see in football is absolutely astronomical and whichever side of the fence you sit on whether you want the shake to win whether you want Sir Jim Ratcliffe clear for the local boy to to edge them out. Whichever way that is, it's still going to be an absolutely monumental moment. And it needs to happen soon, Man United fans will be hoping, because they need to get into this transfer window properly. As I say, right now, going after Mason Mount and potentially uh, Rasmus Hoyland isn't, isn't really enough. That's, that's not what's going to define their, their season next year in terms of shaping them up to challenge for the Premier League or the Champions League. So... Yeah, what did you think, mate? Was that the, was that the kind of ranking you're expecting of how crazy this summer is going to turn? Well, I was expecting something a little bit off the wall, and I think you've delivered in those regards without it being too niche. <laughs> uh, you know, if you'd gone into a, a deep dive on who was going to sign for the Estonian champions, then that was that would. You well, know, you would have done that. that. I wouldn't would be, do that. I would be up my street, but equally, I, I wondered <laughs> how it was going to play, and I think I think what that's done is a really nice overarching view of actually how this all looks because there's so many unknowns and and kind of fundamental bits to this transfer window that feel different you know whether that is MLS and we've seen some you know there there will be big names going elsewhere apart from uh, into Miami and you know there are 
question marks over, you know, who's going to go in as, as a DP at Nashville and probably need a number nine, um, you know, to, to kind of sit into these gaps. There's a few more bits and bobs, I think, that are, are, are going to be different this year. And, and you look, and we talk about things like, okay, Karen Benzema or, or Cristiano Ronaldo takes the lead on, on, on going to the, to the Saudi project. Suddenly, the next summer after that, we see... Karen Benzema go there. We see N'Golo Kante looking closer to moving. We start to see all of these movers and shakers. And I wonder if there'll be a similar effect with players looking MLS. And then that's something that maybe needs to be considered as well. You know, if other players are going, well, if Leo Messi plays there, then that's going to be something that, that will attract players to the league in the same way that I'd imagine Cristiano Ronaldo playing Real Nasser has probably attracted some players to go, well, if it's good enough for one of the greatest players of all time, it's probably good enough for me and they're going to play me a bucket load and, and that those two things in tandem I think are important the the first domino is often a big domino and I think in those two situations in particular the first domino falling is going to have a chain reaction that goes onwards and so looking at those two things and, and you know you can say something similar obviously on a different capacity for, for Manchester United to take over but it's where that domino falls and where, you know, the first person comes in. Look, we've talked about Todd Bowley a lot on this on this podcast, and we've talked about the fact that, you know, it hasn't been great. And I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that, you know, Chelsea fan or not, that it hasn't worked out as he'd planned. But the fact is that Bowley came in and went, right, we're going to make a splash. And suddenly things start to roll forwards. And I wonder if something like that at Manchester United, where whoever takes over the club, has to then make a statement to try and get the fans on side, right? They have to go and make a statement signing that's going to be like, okay, we're in business now again, and we are going mm. to try and challenge at the top end, the sharp end of things. Now, they'll have looked at Todd Berling and gone, right, that doesn't always work by just throwing money at the problem. It has to be done properly. Mm. But it does also feel like Manchester United are in a more stable place than where Chelsea were when Burley took over. And I think that those things in kind of comparison and, and what happens next and all of them make stuff very interesting because if... Manchester United, as you say, go out and sign Kylian Mbappe. It's another domino, right? And then other people are like, oh, hang on, I want to play the same team as Mbappe. I want, you know, I, I, mm. I want to go and be part of a project that's just signed one of the best players in the world right now. I want to go and, and, and be yeah. part of this. And all of the dynamics change on the back of some of these kind of overarching bigger storylines. And I think what that ranking did was, was kind of really hit nail on the head with a lot of them. Things can change fast, you know. We spoke on Patreon about the fact that two years ago, Chelsea won the Champions League. We're just in a season in which they finished in the bottom half of the table and they're selling most of their team from that year. At the same time, Arsenal around that period weren't in Europe. Last year, they've put up the biggest fight to try and win the Premier League and are now pushing themselves into a onto a stage whereby they're challenging for the biggest signings in the Premier League in the shape of uh, you know Rice and, and Havertz so it things can turn fast and, and from a Man United standpoint you'll be looking at the outcome of this takeover thinking anything is possible let's just get this tied up so that we can kick on and actually see what we are capable of over the next 2 years yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, going to be a very, very interesting summer. So thank you very much for that ranking, Mr. Dean Jones. Right. After the break, we're going to be the doing the first of our hot takes of the summer, taking three of the Ranks FC community and hearing what they have to say. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. It's time for some hot takes. It feels a bit full circle, this, doesn't it, Dean? This is where we used to start VR Football Ranks back in the day. We used to start with hot takes. Exactly, yeah. I was I was trying to think yesterday. I was like, how can we shake this up a little bit and make it feel different through the summer? And uh, as we move forward, like, what are we going to do with the segments and stuff? Like, there's no melon of the week, gibberish, you know. You, you want to leave it for a bit to keep it fresh. And I was remembering when we went to Chicago... We did our Vox Pops. It was one of my favourite episodes we ever did of BR Football Ranks. And um, yeah, talking to people from the Chicago Fire, some of the fans and some of the sound bites that we got out of that. They were, I was just cracking up. I still crack up now when I think about some of the, the hot takes that people had of football. And I was like, I want more of this. Like, I enjoyed that. Let's see if we can get some good hot takes in. So thank you to those who did deliver at such short notice ahead of this um, episode. 
and I haven't heard these, so you're going to get proper reaction from me on on these uh, hot takes. And I hope this sticks. I hope people want to keep sending them in because it could be great. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, let's start with an old friend of this podcast, Clack, who is one of the most active people in the Ranks FC community. He's got something to say about Declan Rice. Hello, Rank Squad. Clack Tota here, straight out of Swindon in the southwest of England. And my hot take is that Declan Rice won't be leaving West Ham this summer. So let me elaborate on that just a little bit. He wants to leave West Ham because he wants to win big trophies. Well, come on, let's be real. He's not going to win any bloody trophies at Arsenal. It's Arsenal. What I see happening is him staying for another year, playing another blinding season at West Ham and then getting a transfer to a club that he really wants to go to, Chelsea, next summer. Um, So, yeah. There's my hot take. While I'm here, I just want to send my love to the Discord family. Special shouts to Evan, Andy Mergs, Ben, B-Money, Jose, Billy, Alvin, Erin, Lucas, even the biggest bunch of lovable reprobates. I love you guys. Uh, take a bullet for you lot. Um, yeah, man, I love the pod. Absolutely loving the work you guys are doing. Uh, yeah, just yeah, live and let live. Love everybody. And um, yeah, who needs Sam Tithe anyway? <laughs> oh, Clack. He was going to take a bullet for the rank squad, his friends in the Discord. If that wasn't a good enough advert for why more people should not be over on the Patreon, then I don't know what is. Like, we need to just take that quote out um, and stick it on a poster because that is different class from Clack. That, that, that line was actually better than his hot take, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it should be put out here that Clack, it, Clack is a West Ham fan. We should probably caveat that straight away. So that, that, that does inform his opinion, I'd imagine, a little bit. But this is a hot take i think it's very hot i mean uh, as we are recording this um arsenal's second bid for declan rice is is going in and I, I don't think it's satisfied west ham um the early indications are that it's, the structuring of it isn't going to be okay so we're still not there so clack still got his man at west ham as as we stand right now and arsenal cannot afford to annoy west ham too much here because they won't do it. They, they will refuse. And Declan Rice, while he does want the move, I don't think he's going to like properly, properly kick off about it. Now, one thing that could stop Clack uh, getting his wishes is if Man City did join the battle, as there are small threats of them doing right now. But they haven't stepped forward yet. It is just Arsenal in this conversation. So, yeah, he's uh, that, that was very good, Clack. And I'm sure you are wishing and hoping that this aggravation does kick in and that West Ham just tell them to get lost. But we'll see. We'll see. Very good, Clack. I think it was, I thought his his take on Arsenal not winning trophies was a little bit harsh considering that Arsenal are the most successful club in the FA Cup. Um, Yeah, but that, it fits because with with the first offer that went in, um, the 80 plus 10, the plus 10 was stuff like, if he wins the league with us, it's like, well, we really can't count on that. (laughs) You've just missed out on it. Everybody else is getting stronger. We don't really want you to win the league because we're West Ham and you're Arsenal. Um, We don't want that add-on. That's not of any interest to us. If you were Man City and you were saying that, then we'd be like, okay, fair enough. We'll get our money next year. But as it stands, he's got a point. Like, There's no guarantee at all. There's no guarantee of league wins. I think there are probably a, a relative, the way that Arsenal are projecting at the moment, there's a relative chance of trophies, I think. So I, I think that might be a bit harsh. But but ultimately, yeah, I, I think Crack is probably wrong with that take. It's a good start. It's a good this, start. We will see. It's a good start. Um, right, let's cross the pond, shall we? And let's hear from Jacob Connor. Hey, Rank Squad. My name is Jacob from Cleveland, Ohio. Hope you all are doing well. My hot take is that If you were starting a brand new football club and you had the ability to pick one midfielder to start your team with, Frankie de Jong deserves to be on the five-man shortlist. Maybe not number one, but he needs to be top five. He's 26, entering his prime without a significant injury history. He's shown phenomenal mental fortitude at Barcelona. And most importantly, I think his skill set more so than almost any other player, 
allows him to paper over cracks in the team. His ball retention is incredible. The ball just sticks to his feet. His ability to drop deep, receive the ball, turn and drive through the lines is arguably best in the world. His defensive work rate, highly underrated. Highly underrated. He isn't Declan Rice, but he shows elements of that in his game. I don't think people realize quite how good Frankie de Jong, when he's mentally locked in, how good he is defensively. If I don't know who my other midfielders are and I'm starting a brand new team, Frank de Jong is one of the very first names I would consider in that midfield. What do y'all think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's that hot a take. <laughs> he plays for Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, look, we, we discussed this before, right? Building blocks. We've had an episode on this before. It was one of my favorite episodes we ever did. And it was about building blocks in teams and who you you peg around. And one of the things we've always said is one of the players you always try and build around is is a defensive midfielder. But I, I think that when you're looking at those, the players, if you go, right, I'm building a team from scratch. I was like, right now, I think Rice is in that conversation. I think Rodri's in that conversation. I think Kimmich is in that conversation. You look at maybe someone like Jude Bellingham, obviously not quite a six, but who, if you were going to build a, a team around, there's Chuameni is probably in this conversation. Kamavinga might be in this conversation. But I think, you know, over the, you know, further than that, Frankie de Jong is, is definitely in the conversation too. Like it would be, it would be a bit mad to ignore him, I think, at this point, considering the ability and the point of the career that he's in. Yeah, a hot take would have been to say Frankie de Jong is the man you need uh, to build any team around. I think that would have been a really hot take. Um, I still like it. I, I like the fact that he's putting respect on de Jong's name because I do think that over uh, a lot of last season, uh, Frankie was tarnished a little bit. And I, I think it was it was a little bit hard done by at, at times. But then he came back into the team and he absolutely proved himself. I mean, I'd have to throw De Bruyne into the midfield mix. I know he's not a defensive midfielder, but I, I think if I was starting a team from scratch, I wouldn't mind getting Kevin De Bruyne in as my first midfielder either. Um, not the same, as I say, building block, but also a guy that's absolutely going to define many, many football matches across a season. Yeah, for me, Kimmich would be there. Bellingham would be there. Um Barella might be in there, you know. Barella might Barella yeah. might make the cut as a, as a midfielder that I'd probably want. Um, yeah, maybe Camavinga or Chimney. Not not sure, not sure. It might be just on the fringe of it. I would definitely put Frankie above those two. Actually, I think that's a hot take. I'd put Frankie ahead of those guys. Uh, but this is why Ten Hag wanted him, right? Like Ten Hag was desperate because he knew what Frankie De Jong could change about the setup of his Man United team, the style of play, the philosophy, the clear thinking, the link-up play. Um, it was all there. It's not going to happen for him, but absolutely, Frankie De Jong would be one of the top five. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And um, thank you to Jacob. Right, so let's finish Thanks, with this from Dom. Hi, Rank Squad. Hi, Jack. Hi, Dean. Uh, my name's Dom. I'm from Manchester. I've been a patron for about two years now. Uh, this is my first time sending in uh, anything of this ilk to uh, to the Rank Squad. Uh, so I hope it reaches you. My hot take is, and it's topical, as I've just watched England destroy North Macedonia 7-0. My hot take is that if Trent was moved into a fully midfield role, um, so he's been kind of doing it for Liverpool of a kind of right back into midfield, but I think if he was deployed in a midfield three, as he is for England, he would be the best player in the world. Pretty hot take, but I think with Messi moving on, Ronaldo moving on, both getting a bit older, I think that spot is up for up for grabs. Uh, obviously, the likes of Mbappe, Haaland, De Bruyne are still knocking around. But I think given a year or two, and should he fire England to the Euros, I think he can be the best player in the world. Love to know what you think. Wow. It's a big one. Wow. One of my favourite things about it's a that massive is... This is hot. This is, yeah, hot. this is hot. This is the hottest take, I think. This is the hottest take. Uh, I like this that it's got a Manx, the laptop. Manx celebrating a scouser. That's always good. Yeah, we we are absolutely crossing that. the 
crossing the divide between the yeah. two cities. We there, don't know for we? sure that he's a, he's yeah. We don't know for sure that he's not a Liverpool fan, but it would be quite unlikely, I guess. Um, I love the take. I mean, it's obviously very early to be making a shout like this uh, after a couple of runouts for England in very straightforward games and a 10-game run or whatever at the back end of last season as, as the inverted fullback that dropped, that came into midfield. But Trent has absolutely turned around his reputation over the last few months. There's no doubt about that. He's 24 years old. Trent has got so much time to define what he actually is as a footballer. I'm so glad that he deliberately played terribly at fullback for those for that period of the season. I'm glad. He was like, look, I'm not enjoying this. This is rubbish. I'm constantly having to worry about getting chased in behind. I can't defend. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I pretended I, I would do it for a few years so that I could make it as a professional footballer. There is no way I'm doing another 10 years of this. I'm just going to have a few howlers. And he did it. And he took all the stick. And then he came out the other side and he said to Klopp, look, I reckon I could do a job in the middle if you fancy it. So he's like, all right, mate, go and do it. And he's an absolute superstar. He's a number 10 in the making now. He's got 20 England caps, Trent, but it's the last two that absolutely make him stand out. Players like, you know, have been looking at, taking hold of that number 10 shirt in the England squad. And you thought, who's it going to be? Is it going to be like a James Madison, someone like that coming through? No, it's Trent. Trent's going to be England's number 10 at the Euros at the end of next season, if he can do this. The problem is, how does he do this at Liverpool? Where does he fit into the Liverpool lineup to be able to play like this? Well, they should probably start by hijacking Arsenal's move for Yuri and Timber is probably how I'd suggest that they start. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah they, they, they're going to need some, they're going to need some, reinforcement of right back if this is going to be something that they look to do forward. But look, some of the assists and some of the, the link-up play that Trent's had in the last two games, as you say, take them with a pinch of salt, obviously, Malta and North Macedonia. Uh, although North Macedonia were uh, not that bad to a few a while back, weren't they? They, they qualified for the the Euros, or the last Euros, and they won some big games from them, you know, playing against Italy and, and having some big results as well. So they're not... Mm you know, anything to worry by. And, and I think that, you know, a 7-0 win, you know, no matter who the opposition is, Ireland played Gibraltar last night and couldn't score in the first half. So when, when, you, when you look at, you know, these kind of performances, you can only beat of who's in front of you on the pitch. Does this work against higher quality opposition? We're yet to see, which I think is why this is such a bold take. But the early signs are good, right? The early signs are as, as good as anything we've seen. The signs in the Premier League with Trent dropping into those those kind of areas and channels have been impressive as well. There's lots to like about this show. I think it's premature, I'll be honest. But as a hot take goes, I enjoy I enjoy it. Here's my hot take. I want to see more of this. I think another thing for the, you know, the Carabao Cup, I were always thinking like ways that you can shake up the Carabao Cup. Like, do you wear your own kit? Uh, no corners, no throw-ins, whatever. Like you, you make up all these new rules to make the Carabao Cup more watchable in the early rounds. Here's one for you. Nobody is allowed to play in their actual position. You'll have to play a new role. So I'd have like Harry Kane at right back. I would have, uh, yeah, you, you pick some. Harry Kane in goal, unsuited. mate. You've made the mistake. You've made the mistake. Oh, yeah. Well, he's already Harry played Kane's there. He's already got experience. Uh, Marcus Rashford holding midfield. Yeah, I, I want to see all these kind of things played out in the future because who knows? You never give them a chance to play in these positions. We don't know what they're capable of. And, and Trent's having the absolute time of his life. So who knows how many other players could flourish in other positions if you don't just give them a chance. Mate, these hot takes are great. I think this is sticking. Get your takes in now for next week's episode of Ranks. This might end up becoming a, a separate show if we can get good enough ones in. I love it. Yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun. Thank you so much <laughs> to Dom, to Jacob and to Clack for their takes this week. It's been Definitely. very, very fun. I've enjoyed that immensely. And But with that, I think it's probably time for us to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate.
I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do continue to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, to share this with any of your friends who you think might like to become part of the Rank Squad. And thank you, just generally, for sticking with us as we go into a summer of change, of rehabilitation, of reinvention. We're very, very excited about some of the stuff we have on offer in the next couple of weeks there's going to be some surprises some very special guests it's all very exciting here at ranks fc thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you shortly gang take it easy peace final seconds of the game a chance to score and the chance has gone begging if your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities get the mvp you deserve get shopify Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.